Hello, and welcome to the Narrative Matters podcast, where we hear stories about experiences with the healthcare system and the people in it that highlight the important policy issues of today. Today, I'm talking to Maria Victoria Bovo, a pediatric gastroenterologist in Barcelona, Spain. Bovo is one of many patients who battled the acute symptoms of COVID-19 and survived, but who have since been stricken with lingering and debilitating symptoms of a condition called long COVID. In this month's Narrative Matters essay, Bovo writes about the challenges of living with long COVID and the need to bring more visibility and treatment options to the growing population of people with this disease. Victoria, what do you wish people realized about the aftermath of COVID infection? Hi, Jessica. Thank you very much for your question. I think that it's very important that it can happen everyone. Uh, everyone could be a long COVID patient and you don't know which kind of, of symptoms you will have and how long they can last. And I think it's very important uh, awareness about this because it's not only whether you live or you die, it's about uh, symptoms that can live with you and it can be very incapacitating in your personal and your professional life. So I would like to say that awareness about this is very important. Yeah, I know even writing this essay was challenging, you know, having the energy to make it through, to do the revisions. What is it like doing those day-to-day activities with long COVID? I think that one of the most difficult things for me was um, to realize that I don't have any more the energy that I used to have. It's like living about, uh, at the beginning, 10% of the energy that I used to have. And now, after a few rehabilitation programs, I'm like 40% uh, energy for what I used to be. So... I think that something that is um, very difficult and it took me a lot of time it was to it was to accept that I need to stop and I need to rest and I need to schedule very well every single thing that I'm going I'm going to do through the day and it's like I I can't plan longer than a day because I don't know how I'm going to feel the next day. And it is, and this is very limitating for my personal life and for my family life. And of course, for my job, as I cannot resume my job yet. Yeah, I hope people get that message. And I think they will from your essay that, um, you know, some people have very mild symptoms of COVID, but some people don't. And you just, you never know um, which condition um, you'll you'll kind of end up with. So Victoria, thank you so much for joining us today. And now here is Maria Victoria Bovo reading her essay, Long COVID, Making the Invisible Visible. I'm a 37-year-old mother, wife, and pediatrician. Now I'm also a long COVID patient. It has been more than a year since my first acute symptoms of COVID-19 appeared. And I am still tired, breathless, and suffering from headaches and brain fog, which has reduced my attention span, concentration, and memory. These symptoms are incapacitating me, both personally, in interactions with my family, and professionally, as I cannot resume my job. During my childhood, the sea was the place where I was the happiest. In March 2020, 
while I was hospitalized in Badalona, in the Barcelona area of Spain, I watched the sea through the hospital window. I watched it all through the day during the nine days I was hospitalized, but at night, I couldn't see it. Instead, I watched the road and the parade of ambulance arriving and here she's leaving. I had arrived in an ambulance, but I wonder how I would live. For two whole nights, I could not sleep. With the maximum rate of oxygen flowing through the nasal cannulas attached to my nose, I had to be focused on breathing, and only on breathing. After 48 hours, of it taking an incredible amount of effort just to breathe, I surrendered to the most refreshing and healing sleep that I can recall. When I woke at dawn, the sea was still there, and so was I, and so was I. It's been a year and a half, and there are still days in which tiredness defeats me, and I can't get up. But on the days I can do it, I go back to the sea, where I feel alive. Every wave with its withdrawal takes my fears away, and when the wave returns, it brings hope. It takes away tiredness and brings acceptance. It takes away uncertainty and brings patience and reminds me that I'm here to tell what I have been living through. For the first three months after I was home, I was bedbound. I never imagined myself like this, not being able to take care of myself and my family. I couldn't utter more than a sentence or walk more than five meters without sitting and resting. I even had to use a wheelchair sometimes because I was breathless. I wasn't able to watch television or listen to music and I couldn't read more than a sentence because I felt tired and lacked focus and concentration. Feeling so vulnerable made me feel guilty and angry. I was supposed to be treating patients, not being a patient. Because medical testing and exploration at the time indicated that I was normal, no treatment was offered to me at that time. I felt so frustrated. Four months later, a rehabilitation program for patients with long COVID was created. And for 12 weeks, a multidisciplinary team, including a neurologist, a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, and a neuropsychologist, treated me. That made the difference. I started moving and recovering my independence. I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it was not enough. Later on, for eight more weeks, 
I took part in a second rehabilitation program at the hospital I worked for. I have seen improvement, but the symptoms persist and have continued to limit my life. Depending on how I feel when I get up, I carefully choose the activities I will do. It's as if when I wake up, my battery is already down to 70%. And once I dress and my four-year-old daughter and I have had breakfast, it drops to 50%. And I still have the rest of the day before me. Choosing what I can do at every moment remains a big challenge. I must learn how to estimate the energy that every action takes and measure it out throughout the day. An unpredictable and exhausting exercise. Even when I'm full of energy, it's only about 40% of the energy I used to have. The day is also punctuated by choices, as I can only do one thing at a time. If my daughter cries and I have to serve dinner, I must choose to comfort her or feed everyone. One thing at a time, and for only a short period of time. If I'm on a video call with my mother, after half an hour, I can't follow the conversation. My attention is gone. If I go to a noisy place, I cannot filter sounds individually, but get them all at once. I start feeling dazed, unfocused, and immediately tired, and a headache starts to form. Speaking and even thinking gets me exhausted. Silence has become my new comfort zone, and it is addictive. For the first six months, I was desperate to finish what I was doing, if just for the sense of accomplishment. Even preparing a cup of tea, I had to stop and rest. And I was tired of stopping and resting. If there is a will, there is a way, used to be my motto. I tried to test myself, to push myself harder and finish what I was doing. My breathing would become hurried and my heart would beat faster, as if it were going to burst out of my chest. I opened my mouth to get more air, feeling dizzy from the lack of oxygen. I raised my tingling hands to my face, my sight blurring, and tears would flow down my face. I would try to feel calm again, focusing on my breathing. This happened regularly, and it took me a week or even a month to recover for such an effort every time. 
From those difficult times, I've learned that the secret is to listen to my body, to focus very carefully on my breathing. And when I notice that I'm breathing faster or that something I'm doing requires effort, no matter how tiny it is, I stop and rest. I breathe and resume what I was doing, and then I stop again, as many times as necessary. It is difficult to explain long COVID, and even more difficult for others to understand it. It's difficult even for myself, a physician, as neither the physical exam nor the complementary exams show what I feel and how I feel. As Claude Bernard said, the experimenter who does not know what he's looking for will not understand what he finds. This may be an invisible disease for others, but for me, it is constantly present, setting limits on my body and my mind. It is a relapsing remitting condition in which progress is variable. I move forward, then I feel I'm re regressing as if I wanted to come out from the ocean and a wave reaches me and drags me back in again. The sea, like fatigue, always wins. I have felt fear. At the beginning, it was fear of death. Later, it was fear of the persistent symptoms of the disease. While I was in hospital with COVID-19, feeling that death was close. I thought that I didn't regret not having a doctorate, but I did feel regret for not having lived. I learned that I know something about medicine and that I don't know anything about living. I thought I was afraid of death, but In fact, I was afraid of life, but nothing good came out of fear. I chose acceptance and hope instead. I'm not the person I used to be anymore, and I don't know if I ever will be that person again. Accepting that and giving up on personal, family, and professional projects is the only way for now. This has been hard work, and it has been hard on all of our life. Every day, my daughter accepts the version of her mom that she wakes up with, and she invites me to accept myself in turn. She's teaching me not to be afraid, to live in the present moment, to do one thing at a time, without thinking, just being. I have learned from this disease as well. As a professional, I have learned the importance of honesty, humbleness, compassion, 
and follow-up. But on top of that, the importance of standing by the patient. And in times when there is no other thing left to offer, I've learned that to listen and believe is sometimes more than enough. I've learned that there are no distance for love between mother and daughter. In this pandemic, I couldn't travel to Argentina to be physically close to my family, but I rediscovered the two wonderful people I have at home who make my life complete. I didn't learn what I would expect it to know about medicine, but I think I'm learning to live. As of July 26, 2021, COVID-19 had infected more than 194 million people and caused more than 4 million deaths worldwide. After the acute infection caused by SARS-CoV-2, some people continue to suffer from disabling symptoms, either persisting or cyclical, for months and even longer than a year. Long COVID is a term collectively adopted by patients who describe these long-term symptoms after acute infection. It has been recognized by the World Health Organization and the National Institute of Health under the terms post-COVID-19 condition and post-acute sequela of SARS-CoV-2 infections, respectively. Studies show that 5 to 20% of patients with COVID-19 are affected long-term, and the development and severity of long COVID don't seem to correlate with the severity of the disease during the acute phase of the infection. The clinical presentation of long COVID varies. In a recent meta-analysis published in The Lancet, more than 205 different symptoms related to 10 different organ systems were described. Symptoms include fatigue, shortness of breath, generalized pain, chest pain, muscle aches, palpitations, persisting high temperature, and cognitive dysfunction, among others. These heterogeneous and complexly unfolding symptoms likely made it difficult to recognize this as a new illness. As a health professional and patient suffering from long COVID, I offer several suggestions for increasing awareness and improving treatment of this disease. First, there is an urgent need to raise awareness of the existence of long COVID among healthcare providers, patients, and society in general. At present, the disease might not be suspected at all, or it might be misdiagnosed. Middle-aged women seem to be at greater risk of developing long COVID, 
Yet, according to some reporting, some have been misdiagnosed with anxiety. In addition, people with psychiatric diagnosis may have their long COVID symptoms interpreted through a mental health lens, resulting in potential under-recognition of their physical symptoms. Guideline for primary and tertiary care should be developed based on the latest evidence and the experience of patients and their providers. Such guidelines are essential to preventing an epidemic of long-term chronic disease as a result of early mismanagement of pathology. as well as preventing the potential implications of such an epidemic for health systems and economies. It might be necessary to screen every patient who has COVID-19 within 4 to 12 weeks of SARS-CoV-2 infection to determine whether they have returned to their usual state of health and to rule out long COVID. Second, treatment of long COVID will require multidisciplinary and multi-specialty units because of the systemic nature of the disease. Rehabilitation programs, such as the one I attended, must include physical, neurocognitive, and psychological support. And patients must have access to occupational therapies throughout their period of illness. As a pediatrician, I am particularly concerned about how long COVID could affect children. Childhood and adolescence is a delicate and fundamental period of life, a time of rapid growth and physiological and emotional changes. Evidence that COVID-19 can have long-term effect on children highlights the need for pediatrician, mental health experts, and policymakers to implement measures to reduce the impact of the pandemic on children's health. For one, the multidisciplinary units and rehabilitation programs for treating patients with long COVID must also have the pediatric patient in mind. Eleven months ago, in medical visit with pediatric patient, my colleagues at the hospital I worked for detected cases of children describing symptoms of long COVID as well. In record time, in December 2020, a long COVID pediatric unit at the hospital started working on the assessment, personalized monitoring, follow-up, and medical treatment with rehabilitation of more than 115 children through a multidisciplinary and multi-speciality approach with a holistic view of the patient. COVID-19, 
did not end my life, but it stopped me. It dragged me down from the high-velocity train on which I was riding. I stood up, fell down, and I stood up again. I have crawled and now walked back into life, and I'm preparing myself to ride again when the right moment comes. Although now I will be riding the local low-speed train. In the meantime, as I walk, I look around from time to time. Given the nature of this disease, I'm aware that there was a chance of me not being alive today, of not being at all. I am amazed how beautiful the sights are on this path I'm walking, the path called life. I start listening to the song my mother used to sing to me when I was just a little girl and I asked her what I will be as a grown-up. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I'm a grown-up now. Yet I wonder again. What will be? How long will I be ill? What treatment should I receive? Can I become reinfected even after vaccination? Will I be able to take care of my daughter again? Will I ever return to my job as a full-time pediatrician? To these questions, I receive only silence. I'm used to silence. But as we move through the second year of the new disease of long COVID, research to answer these questions is needed. We are millions of patients around the world with long COVID. It's time to make us visible. That was Maria Victoria Bovo reading her essay, Long COVID, Making the Invisible Visible. Thanks for listening to the Health Affairs Narrative Matters podcast. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.